united and it feels so good what's happening everybody justin bridgewater's finest on youtube blockbuster underscore guy on twitter coming at you with part two of episode zero for the 2017-2018 nfl season last week we gave you full predictions for the afc division winners wild card contenders basement dwellers we gave it to you all this time let's talk about the nfc but of course, some housekeeping to take care of before we start talking about that. As I mentioned last week, this is a three-part episode zero. So this is part two where we talk about the NFC. Next week is part three, the final part of episode zero. And that will once again entail my full Super Bowl 52 prediction starting right from the first week of the playoffs. Go all the way through to my Super Bowl matchup and my Super Bowl champion for Super Bowl 52. And it will also include that Q&A portion. I've had people over the last two weeks plus giving me topics that they want me to talk about for a kind of Q&A episode after we do the whole playoff prediction, Super Bowl 52 prediction. I want you guys, once again, get down in the comment section here, hit me up on Twitter, hit me up wherever you can to give me topics and questions to be talking about for the episode next week. Anything NFL related you want to talk about, a particular player, a particular team, why you think my prediction for that team is right or why you think my prediction for that team is wrong, coaching changes, Roger Goodell, anything that you want to talk about in terms of the NFL, hit me up in the comments section below, hit me up on Twitter, you know what to do. I got a ton of topics already, but we can always use some more for next week's Q&A. Once again, I'll just take a quick second to remind you, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, the show is back in all the same formats and all the same places that you got it last year. Anywhere you can get a podcast, you can get my content. So once again, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, search Bridgewater's Finest on any of those platforms and you're going to find the show. And we'll just take another second here to shamelessly plug the Pick'em League. Between last week and this week, the size of the Pick'em League doubled, which is awesome. I love seeing that. Thank you, folks. Would love to see that happen again, but that's probably a little ambitious. If you don't know what we're talking about, every year I do a pro football Pick'em pool through Yahoo Fantasy Sports. I've been doing it for years now. We use the confidence point system where you apply points to your most confident picks of the week and if you got the most points at the end of the week you win the week you got the most points at the end of the season well guess what you just won the pool a lot of people have taken part in it in seasons past if you were in the pool last year you have received an invite email to come back to the pool again make sure you check your email check your junk mail folder it is in there with whatever email you would have used to sign up for your Yahoo account. If you've never been in the Pick'em Pool before, but you wanna give it a shot, put your picks head-to-head -head against a true YouTube prognosticator, and I say that in air quotations for sure, if you wanna put your picks head-to-head -head against mine, you absolutely can. Here's the info for you one more time. football.fantasysports.yahoo.com slash Pick'em. That is the website that you go to, football.fantasysports.yahoo.com slash Pick'em. You click the button there that says join group. You're going to be prompted for a group ID as well as a password. So the group ID for our Pick'em League is 9909. One more time, that's 9909. The password is B as in boy, W as in water, and then the word finest, F-I-N-E-S-T. So one more time, that password is B-W-finest, F-I-N-E-S-T. All the information to join the Pick'em League is also in the description to the, the video below or to the episode below on SoundCloud or iTunes. All that information is in there to join the pool. Also this year, we're doing Hatbox a solid and helping him promote his Pick'em League. The process is exactly the same. You go to the exact same website, except the group ID and the password are obviously going to be different. This is, of course, for Chris Carter, Hatbox Kid, Hatbox Nation. You can go and join his pool as well. Going to have a number of NFL YouTube prognosticators in that pool as well. Your group ID for Hatbox's pool is 7 Eight eight one, and the password is just hatbox h a t b 
O X. The information for that pool is also in the description below if you're just not getting it, if you just can't get it right. All that information in the description down below. All right, folks, enough dawdling. Let's get into this full NFC predictions coming your way in this episode. Just like last week with the AFC, we will start up top with the NFC East. Of course, with the NFC East, we are talking about Dallas, the New York Giants, Philadelphia, and Washington. Dallas won this division last year with a mark of 13-3, and including a 7-1 and mark at home and 6-2 and on the road, which was pretty incredible. So let's start right there with the Cowboys. Though it's been relatively quiet for media coverage in terms of the Cowboys offseason, they've actually been quite busy in terms of bodies coming in and bodies going out the door and it's more than just Tony Romo they've also lost their top two starting cornerbacks basically Morris Claiborne and Brandon Carr both out the door no longer with the Cowboys so Romo obviously is the marquee name there that's no longer with the team he's only started I think four games in the last two years maybe five but it's still hard to see a guy that was the franchise quarterback for a decade walk out the door Obviously, they're going to be fine, I think, with Dak Prescott. But still, to see Romo leave, it does kind of sting a little bit. What they did do, the body that they did bring in to kind of alleviate the defensive losses that they've had is Nolan Carroll. He came on from the Eagles, I think. Sorry, I had a little brain fart there. Came on from the Eagles. He's a fast defensive back he's got the playmaking ability plays really well in the zone so that's definitely going to help the fact that the Cowboys lost both of their starting cornerbacks in the offseason the Cowboys had a top five total offense in 2016 ranking exactly at number five still not the best offense in this division believe it or not there's two top five offenses in this same division along with Washington they were up there pretty good defense kind of you know a little better than middle of the pack in terms of total defense from last season, but that is a good defense in Dallas that did definitely take a couple of big hits in the secondary. They play six games against top 10 total offenses from last season and six games against top 10 total defenses from last season. And in terms of the defenses, that starts right out the gate. Dallas's first four games, which remember, unless it gets overturned on appeal, they will be without Zeke Elliott for the first six games of the season due to his conduct suspension. So if we have to assume that they don't have Zeke Elliott, their first four games right out of the gate are against top 10 total defenses from 2016. They have the Giants at home. They go to Denver and Arizona in back-to-back -back weeks. Arizona, of course, also being a top 10 offense. And then come back home to play the Rams. That's four top 10 total defenses right in a row from weeks one to four. A very tough way to start the season for the Cowboys. After that, it's not exactly smooth sailing. I mean, they do have to go to the Giants and then to Oakland in back-to-back -back weeks in weeks 14 and 15. I actually think they lose both of those games. They have to end the season in Philadelphia, and it's not that Philadelphia is as good of a team as Dallas is, but they're just really tough to beat at home. So in week 17, I actually think Philadelphia wins that game. But if Dallas can go 500 in that stretch from week one to week four, I think they'll be perfectly fine. I'm of the personal opinion that Zeke Elliott's suspension will be reduced on appeal once the appeal process goes through I would be surprised if he misses three games I figure he'll probably miss those first two but of course we can't really speculate on that until it actually happens I actually think they do fairly well in that first grouping those first four games and I think they have a pretty good season it's not going to be as good as last season it's just not you can't when you're missing Zeke Elliott for potentially up to six weeks I see the Cowboys as an 11-5 football team. I think that's still going to be good enough to win this division. Spoilers. But I do like Dallas to still get to double-digit wins. 11-5, nothing wrong with that on the season. As long as the defense holds together, which is going to be a little tougher in the secondary, teams are going to be able to throw on them. I mean, again, they have to go into Oakland and play Oakland. they got to play Washington twice in this division. They have to go to Atlanta. They have to play Green Bay at home. So there's really good quarterbacks that are really going to be able to throw on this Cowboys defense. But I do think the Cowboys are going to be just fine. 
I've got them going 11 and 5. This is an aside, but have you ever had tea that tastes like chocolate cake? I'm having it right now, and it's delicious. Let's go to New York now and talk about the Giants. I'd have to say probably the biggest departure for them in the offseason is Jonathan Hankins on that defensive line. The Giants have one of the better defensive lines in football, certainly on paper last season, having especially Jonathan Hankins, and I think it was Damon Harrison up the middle at tackle. They're kind of the same player, so that's a little bit of, you know, it's a little bit of give and take there. But Hankins left unsigned. He signs with the Colts to improve their defensive line. I think Damon Harrison's going to do just fine there because, as I say, he is basically almost the exact same player as Jonathan Hankins. Great run stuffer. Doesn't exactly generate a ton on the pass rush, but they have other people on the line to do that. But he is a really good run stuffer. Jonathan Hankins leaves the Giants, goes to the Colts, but they did bring in Brandon Marshall. Look, they got rid of Victor Cruz. They kind of figured that was going to be a bit of a failed experiment, although Victor Cruz, in the preseason anyway, is looking pretty good, and we finally got to see, and I'm doing it right now, the salsa dance return. They did bring in Brandon Marshall, which is a huge compliment to Odell Beckham and to the offensive weapons that they have on that team. They shouldn't have any shortage of them. We all seem to talk about it every offseason, though. Though, oh my God, look at the Giants. Here comes the Giants with this great offense. They're going to be incredible. First series of the season, negative two yards and a punt. So, uh, you know, you always got to kind of play it with a grain of salt and sort of play it by ear with the Giants offense. But Hey, any offense that's got Odell Beckham Jr. is a dangerous offense, and they only got more so by bringing in Brandon Marshall. Look, he might be 33, but Brandon Marshall can still get it done. Probably the biggest addition for the Giants. Giants are coming off of an 11-5 wildcard season. They had a really good season last year. I think it's going to be a bit of a down season from that. I don't think they get to double-digit wins is my way of saying that. The Giants last season had the 25th ranked offense in football. Once again, what did I say? Every year we talk about the Giants and their offense. Number 25 in terms of total offense last season. They did make up for that with a top 10 total defense, propelling them to a number of wins from last season. This season, they play six games against top 10 total offenses from last season. They play four games against top 10 total defenses. So that offense will have a chance at doing something. They don't have to play super elite defenses for a large portion of the season. They do, however, get a little bit of a tough stretch in week six and seven. They have to go to Denver, which is a game I think they lose, and then they come back home to have to play Seattle. Now, I do think they beat Seattle at home. Seattle does not travel well. They'll have to cross the country, I believe, because I'm just going to take a quick look at Seattle. Yeah, because they're, well, they're coming off their bye week, so they may just go to New York during the bye week, so maybe the travel layover won't be quite so bad. But still, Seattle outside of their own building, not the greatest thing since sliced bread, so I do think the Giants win that game. Then, after the Giants' bye week in week eight, they have two instances where they have to play at least back-to-back -back games against top 10 total offenses from last season. So the defense is really going to be tested here late in the season. Weeks 12, 13, and 14. There's those back-to-back -back games where they have to go to Washington and to Oakland. Back-to-back -back road games against really good offenses, I actually think they lose both of those games. Then they have to come back in week 14, come back home to play Dallas. Now that is a game that I do think they win by virtue of the fact that the game is in New York. But then to end the season, they have to go to Arizona and then back home to finish the season against the Redskins. That Arizona game, I do think that they lose. All told, I've got the Giants going 9-7 and seven this season, so it's going to be a downgrade from last season, but it's still, a, it's, there's nothing wrong with a season finishing over 500. They're going to be in the wildcard conversation in the NFC. I don't necessarily think that they get one, but they're going to be in the conversation late into the season. Pretty common for the Giants, I think. Not really going to be in conversation for the division, but definitely for a wildcard spot. 
Let's go to Philadelphia now and talk about the Eagles, 7-9, and nine, just under 500 last season by virtue of the fact that they really couldn't win on the road. They only won one road game in 2016. Biggest departure for the Eagles, funny enough, because it's a bit of an interesting case, the biggest departure for the Eagles is one that they actually basically negated by trading for a guy at the exact same position. I suppose I shouldn't say the exact same position, but just basically playing in the same part of the field. The biggest loss for them was on the defensive line. Defensive tackle Benny Logan, he left, he's out of town. He was a top 30 ranked defensive tackle, so definitely worthy of being a starting tackle in the NFL. But they did bring in Timmy Jernigan, I believe it is, or Jerrigan. I can't remember what his last name was. But he ranked inside the top 20 in terms of 3-4 defensive ends. So they're really not going to miss their biggest departure, which is a big deal. That's a quality offseason there by the head office with the Eagles where, look, this is the biggest guy that's going to be leaving. We're really not going to miss him because we brought in a player that's arguably quite a bit better. And you want to talk about an upgrade, the biggest arrival, the biggest upgrade to that Eagles offense, Alshon Jeffrey, the ideal, probably prototypical wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles offensive scheme. He's not an elite speed wide receiver, but he catches the bad throws. He catches in traffic. He's the perfect kind of prototypical West Coast guy. Philadelphia plays a quick tempo on offense. He's going to fit in spectacularly for the Philadelphia Eagles and that's a definite upgrade for them on the offensive side of the ball that's certainly a welcome sight for an Eagles team that was only 22nd in total offense in football in 2016 now they did have a certainly comfortably top half of the league number 13 total defense in 2016 and at home the Eagles defense was damn near untouchable they were incredible at home this season they're gonna have to do that again they play six games against top 10 total offenses from 2016 and six games against top 10 total defenses from 2016 so that's over that magical 10 number that we talked about last week with the AFC teams that it's going to be tough to get over on some of those defenses that they do have to play, especially late in the season. I've got the Eagles taking a step forward, but it's only a small one. I've got the Eagles finishing the season at 500 at 8-8. Eight and eight. They got a pretty ideal bye week situation. They have the latest bye week in this division at week 10. But starting out the season, they've got some really, really, really tough games that I don't think they win early on in the year. They have to go to Washington and to Kansas City back-to-back to to start the season. Back-to-back roadies right away to start the season weeks one and two. I think they lose both of those games. They're going to come back home and beat the Giants. But then they have to go to the Chargers, so that's three road games in four weeks. I don't think they win that game. I think the Chargers win that game. Then they got to come home and play Arizona. Very tough team. So they have a difficult start to the season. After they hit the bye week, I think they're just a bit better than a 500 football team. But that's going to get them to 500 to end the season. I like this Eagles team. I think there's the potential there to make some noise. Carson Wentz is a sneaky sleeper fantasy player. But all in all, I do think it only adds up to an 8-8 season. And we'll finish up in Washington where the Skins are coming off of an 8-7-1 and season in 2016. Pretty well 500 at home, just a little better than 500 on the road by virtue of that tie. The biggest departure and the biggest arrival for the Redskins this season both come at the wide receiver position. Deshaun Jackson is out of town. Pierre Garçon is also out of town, but I would say between the two of them, Deshaun Jackson definitely the bigger loss. Terrell Pryor from Cleveland is in. So Deshaun Jackson, he goes to Tampa Bay to join that young, dynamic offense down there with the Bucs. And Terrell Pryor leaves the Browns to join a top five total offense from last season. That is actually probably pretty close to a wash, I would think. I think Pryor probably has a bigger upside than Jackson does, certainly than Garcon does. 
So, you know, bigger upside, probably going to be a little bit of a project, going to take time to get some chemistry there. But I think once the wash has all come out, Washington will be a better offensive team for having Terrell Pryor. And the Bucks are a better offensive team for having Deshaun Jackson. So, hey, everybody wins. As I mentioned, the Redskins' best offense in this division from 2016, the number three total offense in football in 2016. However, they only had the number 28 total defense in 2016 so that defense is gonna have to come together and gonna have to play better especially where you have to play a team like dallas twice you have to play good offensive teams other than that so you really got to come together here as a defense if you want to have any chance of making any noise they play five games this season against top 10 total offenses and seven games against top 10 total defenses from 2016 it is not an easy schedule for the Redskins. Now they don't have to play back-to-back games against a top 10 total offense from 2016, but they do have two instances where they have to play at least back-to-back games against 2016 top 10 total defenses. Weeks nine and week 10, they have to go to Seattle to play the Seahawks. Woof. I think they lose that game. I don't think the defense can keep up with a Seattle offense that plays much better at home. So they lose that game. Then they got to come home and play Minnesota. And only by virtue of the fact that that game is in Washington am I going to give the Redskins that game just because Minnesota, not the greatest road team last season, three and five. I mean, look, if you can get close to 500 on the road, you're doing your job. But Washington, I think, wins that game. Then the last three weeks of the season, 15, 16, and 17, back-to-back-to-back games against top 10 total defenses. They got home games against Arizona and Denver, and then they have to go to New York to play the Giants in the season finale. Washington got to 500 last year on the number 28 total defense. I don't think they do that again this year. I think they take a slight step back, and I'm going to have them go seven and nine. It's pretty well what they had last season, but I I think it's seven and nine. Those last three games there, as I mentioned, the top 10 total defenses, I think they lose against Arizona, and they lose the season finale in New York, so they have a chance there to go eight and eight, but I don't think they're going to be able to do it. I think the Giants win that game at the end of the season fighting for their playoff lives in the wild card race. All right, let's pick up the pace here. Let's go to the NFC West. We're talking Arizona, the LA Rams, San Francisco, and Seattle. Seattle winning this division last season with a mark of 10-5-1. Despite the fact that you had Arizona, a top 10 total offense, and a top 10 total defense that still couldn't get to 500 at 7-8-1. And let's start right at the top there with the Arizona Cardinals, their biggest departure coming on the defensive line, their biggest arrival coming in the secondary, but only to plug a hole of a departure that I think probably outweighs the arrival. The departure there is Calais Campbell, the defensive end, one of the most dominant interior players over the last few seasons in the NFL, 56 and a half sacks in his career in Arizona as a five technique, which doesn't really happen all that often, doesn't really generate a ton of sacks, except in Calais Campbell's instance. He's going to be really tough to replace. They did draft at the position, uh, first round pick in 2016, so maybe they feel comfortable. I guess they must have felt comfortable letting him go, but he's going to be tough to replace on the Cardinals pass rush. They did bring in Antoine Bethea, the strong safety, to replace Tony Jefferson, who signed with Baltimore, but he's a definite downgrade from Tony Jefferson, but they did have to plug the hole. Antoine Bethea played the most snaps in the NFL at the safety position last season. He's still an adequate NFL strong safety. He's not as good as the guy that he's replacing, but he is still an adequate player. So... All in all, I don't really think Arizona is a better team this year than they were last year, but I think what it comes down to here is the schedule. So as I mentioned, Arizona was only 7-8-1 last season, despite being the number 9 total offense in football and the number 2 total defense in football. They were a very complete team last season that just plain couldn't put it all together. They started the season slow, and they couldn't really recover. 
The Cardinals play an NFC low three top 10 total offenses from 2016. That defense is going to have all the opportunity in the world to ball out and play well. They don't have to play great offenses from last season. Now, they do have to play seven games against top 10 total defenses. So that is worth paying attention to, obviously. But the schedule makers definitely doing Arizona a favor here by giving them what I would say is probably the easiest schedule in the division, certainly in terms of the offenses they have to play. Despite the fact that they only play three games against top 10 total offenses from 2016, two of those games come in back-to-back games early in the season, weeks two and three. They have to go to Indianapolis and then come home to play Dallas. Now, I actually think they win both of those games. Indy, I think, as I mentioned in the AFC episode, is going to have a good season, but that's a game that I think the Cardinals catch them. And then they come home to play Dallas. I think they win that game as well. Now, where the offense is really going to get tested is later in the season after the Week 8 bye. So they got a comfortable bye position in Week 8. Starting in Week 10, they play four consecutive games and six of their final eight against top 10 total defenses from 2016. Week 10, Seattle at home. Week 11, they go to Houston to play the Texans. Week 12 and Week 13, they're home in back-to-back games against Jacksonville and the LA Rams. Here's the kicker. I think they win all four of those games. Their offense is better than all four of those teams. There's only one road game in there. It's Houston. Houston is by no means a juggernaut. It'll be interesting to see how that defense is still playing in the second half of the season, whether J.J. Watt is okay. It's just interesting to see how that defense is playing at that point in the season. I think Arizona wins all four of those games, three of them coming at home. Matter of fact, I think Arizona goes on an eight-game winning streak coming out of their bye in week eight. They won't lose another game after the bye until the week 17 season finale where they have to go to Seattle to play the Seahawks. Incredibly tough game. I think the Seahawks win that game, but part of the reason that the Seahawks win that game is I don't think Arizona at that point is going to be having anything left to play for because I think they will have already clinched the division. I've got Arizona winning this division with a mark of 13-3. and This is a really good Cardinals team. David Johnson is right there. They've brought most of their weapons back. I really think Arizona is going to make a run. I think they desperately want to get that core a Super Bowl ring. And I think they're going to make a run at it this year. I've got them going 13-3 and and winning the division. So we're going to go very quickly through the LA Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. It's going to be painful, but bear with me. You know what? For the sake of time, I'm just going to do them together. Let's look at the Rams. Biggest departure for them, definitely Kenny Britt. Definitely hurts their offense. Just one fewer weapon for Jared Goff to throw to. Now, they did improve on the offensive line, bringing in Andrew Whitworth, who is a left tackle. So they did improve that line. Look, he's 35. His play is declining, but he is a definite upgrade over Greg Robinson. You look at the 49ers, obviously the two biggest departures for the 49ers, both coming on the offensive side of the ball. Torrey Smith, after signing that big free agent deal, he gets cut after two seasons, only combined to catch 55 passes in two seasons. Definite bust for the 49ers. And then, of course, the big one, Colin Kaepernick, who everyone has been talking about all last season and all offseason this season. The biggest arrival got to be Pierre Garçon. He comes in. He can replace Torrey Smith's production. He can definitely be a good player in this offense. Could potentially break out and be an exceptional player in this offense. He might be a guy to watch out for in terms of certainly PPR scoring in fantasy. Last season, these two teams combined to win only six games. The Rams going 4-12 and and San Francisco going 2-14. and They were the number 31 and number 32 total offenses in football, respectively. Rams being, of course, a little bit better than San Francisco. The Rams did kind of make up for it by being a top 10 total defense. They had the number 9 total defense in football last season, whereas San Francisco ranking dead last. 
Both of these teams play five games this season against top 10 total offenses from 2016. San Francisco has the unenviable task of playing an NFC most nine games against top 10 total defenses from last season. The Rams, of course, they also have to play eight. And part of the reason I'm doing these two teams together is they're both going to have absolute dumpster fires of seasons. The Rams, in my opinion, are going to go two and 14. The 49ers are going to go, in my opinion, one and 15. Two games the Rams are going to win. Funny enough, they both come against the 49ers, and that's part of also why I decided to lump them together. Both of the times that the Rams will have to play the 49ers by virtue of the fact that they play in the same division, the Rams, I believe, are a better team, certainly on the defensive side, and they win both of those games. San Francisco's only win this season is going to come in week one. They are going to come out and they are going to punch the Carolina Panthers in the mouth and be 1-0 at the start of the season. And it's going to go straight downhill from there. I would argue these two teams probably have the two toughest schedules in the NFC. Surprise, surprise, bad teams get the tough schedules. But uh, yeah, the fact that you know the Rams, two back-to-back games against top 10 offenses just to start the season. Uh, San Francisco plays back-to-back-to-back games against top 10 total offense uh, total offenses and then play back to back or d- defenses sorry and then play back to back to back to back games against top 10 total offenses then they get they have to go to Philly they're losing that game and then again back to back total defenses from last season heading into the bye week they end the season against back to back top 10 total defenses so i mean they're just not like the schedule makers are just like, let's just crap on these two teams. Let's just make it absolutely impossible for them to have any measure of success whatsoever. So Rams and 49ers, I think they combine for three total wins. Well, turning our backs and leaving that unpleasantness behind us, let's talk about the Seahawks. Biggest departure for Seattle has to be, funny enough, in the kicking side of things, where they let Stephen Hauschka walk in free agency. Now, they did replace him with Blair Walsh, and Walsh, of course, having that great moment here in the preseason game, Seattle against Minnesota, where he makes a kick and he just points at the Vikings bench, like, yeah, that one was for you guys, for letting me go, in in kind of disrespectful fashion. I understand why they did it. But it's interesting to me that Seattle let Steven Hauschka walk, just walk in free agency for absolutely nothing. Now, look, I get it. The trade market for kickers, I can't imagine, is all that high. But you look at a team like Tampa Bay, you're telling me Tampa Bay wouldn't have thrown you a draft pick for Steven Hauschka with all the problems they've had with Aguayo? Like, come on, they, they would have thrown you a draft pick for a pretty darn good kicker in Steven Hauschka. But in any case... Hauschka's gone, Blair Walsh is in, basically probably a wash as long as Blair Walsh can kind of get his head back in the game. Biggest arrival, Seattle adding to their running back depth with Eddie Lacy, and he's probably now the only running back on that team that can really establish the kind of physical presence and the kind of punishing play that the defense has been able to do for low these many seasons now they're a physically demanding punishing defense and now they have that presence at the running back position as well with Eddie Lacy he's going to have to keep his weight in check he's going to have to stay healthy if he does he probably comes out as the starter or you know a 1A 1B situation in Seattle he has got the potential to have a lot of success with the Seahawks Seattle, as I mentioned, winning this division last season with a 10-5 and 1 mark. They were the number 12 total offense in football in 2016 and a top 5 total defense at number 5. They play 7 games against top 10 total offenses. That is enough to tie for the lead in the NFC along with the Tampa Bay Bucks. The Seahawks also have to play top 10 total defenses 7 times this season. Seahawks get something of an early bye in week six, but coming right out of that bye, they got to play back-to-back games against top 10 total defenses. They go to New York to play the Giants and then come home to play Houston. I think they probably split those games. And then immediately, right after those games, they play back-to-back-to-back games 
against top 10 total offenses. And this actually happens to them again later in the season. So week nine, they got to play Washington. Week 10, they go to Arizona. Week 11, they play Atlanta. So I think the Seahawks actually win two of those games. I think they win both of those home games. They beat Washington. And then the Atlanta game is a coin flip because Atlanta was really good on the road last season. But I'm going to give that game to Seattle just because that's a really difficult place for opposing teams to play in. I think I'm going to give Seattle that game. And then the final four weeks of the season, weeks 14, 15, 16, and 17, it happens to them again. Back-to-back games against top 10 total defenses in 14 and 15. They go to Jacksonville and then come home to have to play the Rams. Now, I do think they win both of those games. It'll be interesting to see what Jacksonville's offense is going to look like. Blake Bortles, who knows? Blake Bortles might get cut. So they've got all the tools there, but they're just not able to put it together because of the player at the quarterback position. But I think they win both of those games at Jacksonville and against the Rams. And then they have back-to-back games against top 10 total offenses. They go to Dallas, which is a game I think they lose, and then come home to play Arizona in the season finale. As I mentioned, I think Seattle wins that game. At the end of the day, Seattle's going to get to double-digit wins again. I actually think they're going to take a step forward this season, really competing for the NFC Championship. I like them to finish 12-4, and firmly as the wildcard one team. 12-4, and it's going to be an excellent season, once again, in Seattle. That 12-4 and will include an undefeated 8-0 record at home, otherwise known as the Baltimore Ravens formula. Let's take a trip up north now to the NFC North. We're talking Chicago, Detroit, Green Bay, and Minnesota. Green Bay winning this division last season with a mark of 10-6. and six. We'll start in Chicago, who I think is one of the most interesting franchises in the NFL right now. You're talking about Jay Cutler was there. He's gone now. Alshon Jeffrey, he's gone now. Jeffrey's got to be the biggest departure from Chicago this season. But honestly, let's let's be perfectly honest. I've never been an Alshon Jeffrey, a big Alshon Jeffrey fan. I think he's an excellent fit where he is now. But he just didn't appear to be the fit in Chicago that they needed him to be. You know what I mean? Like he just never felt like the true number one guy there. Maybe it was a lack of rapport with Cutler. Who knows? But Alshon Jeffrey, he's out of town, but he hasn't been the same player that he was in, I think it was 2013 or something like that. He just hasn't been the same player. Maybe he'll be the same player. Maybe he'll become that player in Philadelphia again. But in Chicago, he wasn't that player anymore. Probably wasn't going to be that player. They've got players that are going to step in and replace him. You're talking about Cameron Meredith and you're talking about Kevin White. One of those two guys is going to emerge as their new number one. I would say it's probably going to be Kevin White, but I don't really want to make a call on that quite yet because I like Cameron Meredith. I don't think they're going to miss him all that much. Mike Glennon comes into town to take over as the new starting quarterback with the departure of Jay Cutler into retirement for eh, about 14 seconds. But I really don't think this is going to be Mike Glennon's team. I really don't. If you watched Mitch Trubisky play In that first preseason game, this is Mitch Trubisky's team. The plan was to leave Mitch Trubisky on the bench for this this season, just so he can learn under Mike Glennon, learn the offense, really have it down to a T, and then see where they are at the beginning of next season. I don't think that's the smart move. I really think this is Mitch Trubisky's team, and I think it should be his team now. It's nice to have Mike Glennon there, from a depth chart standpoint where if Trubisky falters, you can bring Glennon in for a game or two, let Trubisky calm down, and then get him back out there. Honestly, I think Mitch Trubisky's the better quarterback on this team. I think he should be starting, but you got to look at Mike Glennon as the biggest arrival right now for the Bears. Bears are coming off a 3-13 and season where they did not win a single game on the road. So all three of those wins coming at home, almost a 500 team at home, they were number 15 in terms of both total offense and total defense last season, so right around middle of the pack in the league. They play five games against top 10 total offenses in from, from 2016, and an NFC low, or no, sorry, not quite an NFC low, sorry about that, but a low number, only three games 
against top 10 total defenses from 2016. This is another part of the reason why I think it will be good to get Mitch Trubisky playing now. They have an easy defensive schedule comparative to a lot of other teams. Get this rook some confidence. They got a good bye week situation in Chicago, week nine. Early in the season, it's going to be difficult. They're going to hit a really rough stretch here where they're going to lose four straight games. And those are two games that they play back-to-back against top 10 total offenses and two games that they play back-to-back against top 10 total defenses. They have to play Pittsburgh at home and then go to Green Bay and play the Packers. They're going to lose both of those games. Then they got to come home and play Minnesota. I think Minnesota gets them there. And then they have to go to Baltimore. They're not beating the Ravens in Baltimore. So that's four straight games that I think Chicago loses. But after that, they don't have to play a top 10 offense or top 10 defense back to back again. And they only have to play one more top 10 total defense after that point. Add it all up. Good bye week situation. They will win a game on the road this season. I don't think they're going to win a lot, but they will win a game on the road. They will be a 500 team at home. I like the Bears to take a step forward this season with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback and finish the season 5-11. and 11. Look, it's still a down season, but not comparative to having gone 3-13 and 13 the season before. They're going to take a step forward. Mitch Trubisky going to get himself a little bit of confidence. And in a couple of seasons, the Bears are going to be a good team again. So I've got them taking that first step this season and finishing 5-11. and 11. Let's go to Detroit now where the Lions are coming off of an above 500 season at 9-7 and seven, and where all, it seems, of the offseason movement has been on that offensive line. Riley Reif, Riley Reif, Reif or Reef, I'm sure uh, Half Moon's Picks is probably screaming at me right now. Riley Reif has to be the biggest departure from this team. He's a was a top 10 total right tackle from last season. Every single game that he played for the Detroit Lions, he played at a high level, but he got a top dollar offer from Minnesota to come over and play left tackle for them. Detroit simply was not going to match that. So Riley Reif has to be the biggest departure for the Lions. However, they did bring in TJ Lang at guard and Ricky Wagner at tackle. So they quickly moved to replace those holes in the offensive line and make the offensive line better. Like TJ Lang, huge upgrade at the guard position for them. That offensive line is going to be much better. They're going to be able to run the ball if they choose to, but they're going to be able to better protect Matt Stafford. And that's the big deal here. Matt Stafford, that team lives and dies on the arm of Matt Stafford. You have to be able to protect him. And TJ Lang is definitely going to be able to help them do that, despite the fact that Wagner, probably a little bit of a drop-off, obviously, from Riley Reif. But they did quickly move to replace that departure and improve at that position. All of a sudden, are the Lions a sleeper pick for best offensive line in football? Lions ranked outside the top half of the league last season in terms of total offense and total defense. They were the number 21 total offense in football, the number 18 total defense. They have arguably the toughest schedule in this division, six games against top 10 total offenses from last year and five games against top 10 total defenses. And that starts right out the gate. Their first two games for Detroit are back-to-back games against top 10 total defenses. They play Arizona at home, and then they have to go to New York to play the Giants. I think they split those two games. They actually win that first game against Arizona, but go to the Giants. They're probably going to lose having to travel to New York. After the bye week in week seven, which is actually the earliest bye in this division, so not exactly the greatest bye week positioning, which does matter, they have to play back-to-back games against Pittsburgh and then going to Green Bay to play the Packers. I think they lose that Green Bay game based on the fact that it's in Green Bay, but I do think that they have what it takes to beat Pittsburgh at home, Detroit, a difficult place to play for opposing teams. Couple of weeks later, week 12 and week 13, they got to do it again against top 10 total defenses, back to back games. They're at home against Minnesota, and then they have to go to Baltimore to play the Ravens. So I think they lose that Baltimore game, but I do think they have what it takes at home to beat Minnesota. So if they can split those games where they have to play total offenses or total defenses that were in the top 10 from last season, 
I think Detroit's going to be perfectly fine. I don't think they take a step forward. I think they basically stay right where they are. I've got Detroit finishing 9-7 and seven this season. Identical mark to what they had last year. I think they've got... Let's see. I'm looking for home games that they lose and I really only see one this could very easily be a seven and one home team this season on the road I think they're going to struggle once again they were only three and five on the road last year I think that probably holds true again this year maybe even gets a little bit worse but I got them finishing nine and seven so like the Giants the Lions are going to be right there in terms of the wild card, they have get, definitely got a shot at being a wild card team this year. In this division, they don't have a shot at winning the division, but they do have a shot at being a wild card team. Let's look at Green Bay now. Another season, another division title for the Packers. Last season finishing 10 and 6, despite really struggling on the defensive side. When you talk about the Packers, we literally just talked about TJ Lang. That's got to be their biggest loss on the offensive side. Now, they did also lose J.C. Treader at center. So the offensive line for the Packers, I think, is going to be an issue, certainly early on in the season. Now, obviously, they got scared off by the fact that uh, TJ Lang just had foot surgery, hip surgery, and is about to turn 30. So clearly they weren't going to invest in him long term. But I mean, he was the best player on that offensive line. One of the top players on that roster on a roster of like offensive superstars. So it's definitely a loss. Now they did bring in Martellus Bennett. Martellus Bennett obviously is going to be very happy to have Aaron Rodgers throwing him passes. Although he did just come from a situation where he had Tom Brady throwing him passes. So, I mean, he's going from elite quarterback to elite quarterback, which is really nice. What Martellus Bennett really brings to the table is the fact that he's one of the best blocking tight ends in football. And that's really going to help based on the fact that they just lost the best player on their offensive line. So Bennett is really going to be tasked with a lot of interesting blocking assignments this season, trying to keep some of those good defensive lines that the Packers are going to have to play this season at bay. Packers were a top 10 total offense in football in 2016 at number eight. But as I mentioned, they struggled on defense. Statistically, the Packers were the worst total defense in this division last season at number 22 in football. They have to play four games against top 10 total offenses and luckily only four games against top 10 total defenses. So they don't hit that magic 10 number and hopefully the loss of TJ Lang and the weakening on the offensive line won't impact them as much as some other teams, especially given how mobile and agile Aaron Rodgers still is. Green Bay along with Atlanta are the only two teams in the NFC that do not have to play back-to-back games against a top 10 total offense or a top 10 total defense from last season at any point on their schedule this season. So the schedule makers were very good to the Packers and the Falcons. Packers are another team here that are looking to get their elite franchise quarterback another Super Bowl ring. So I honestly, I think they're going to make another run at things this season. Ty Montgomery, I believe, is moving to running back full time. I think that's the spot for him. Hopefully he gives the Packers a better run game. If the defense can kind of come together a little bit, even just play a little bit better than they played last season, Green Bay's not going to have any issues here. I've actually got the Packers going 13-3 and and winning the division. Their two losses, I think they're, or their three losses, sorry, Two of them are going to come on the road. I think they lose in week two at Atlanta, ironically enough, as what we've just talked about. And then I think they also lose at Minnesota in week six. Minnesota is a good enough team that they're going to split those two games with Green Bay. Uh, their only home loss this season, week 13, they got the Bucks coming in. The Bucks were a really good road team last season. I think they can come in and surprise them there. Bucks beat the Packers, but that's the Packers' only three losses this season. 13-3, and three, and they win the NFC North. But where does that leave the Vikings? Well, let's talk about them. Obviously, departure begins and ends with Adrian Peterson, now playing in New Orleans with the Saints, ideally making the Saints a better running offensive team. But, I mean, he's easily the best running back in Vikings franchise history. He's one of the leaders on that team. It's going to hurt 
to have Adrian Peterson leave, even if he hasn't contributed a ton on the field in the last two seasons. Riley Reef, we just talked about him a little bit ago. He's definitely the biggest addition for the Vikings coming over from division rival Detroit, making their offensive line instantly a lot better. And that's really the problem area for the Vikings is they can't protect their quarterbacks. And that is definitely going to help them. He is just one player, but hopefully that will help the Vikings to improve their offensive line and improve their results. Vikings were only 8-8 eight and eight last season. They had the number 28 total offense in football last season. Just anemic. They really couldn't get anything going on the offensive side. But they did keep themselves in it by having the number 3 total defense in football last season. That defense is going to be great again this season. Top 10 is basically a layup for this defense. If the offense can improve, the Vikings are going to have a fine season. It's not going to be enough to win the division, but how good is it going to be? Right out of the gate, the Vikings do have to play back-to-back games against the top 10 total offense. They play the Saints at home in week one and then have to go to Pittsburgh to play the Steelers in week two. I think they split those games. They beat New Orleans because New Orleans doesn't travel very well, but I don't think they go to Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers, so I'm going to give that game to Pittsburgh. They split those. They have a good bye week position. They have a bye week in week nine, along with Chicago, the latest bye week in the division. And honestly, the way I see it, I think Minnesota gets to double digit wins, finishes the season at 10 and six, and they're definitely going to be in that conversation for the second wild card position. Obviously, I've got Seattle winning the first wild card, but they're definitely going to be right there in the conversation for the second wild card. I think the offense is going to play better this season, and that's really all they need. The defense just needs to play up to close to what they played last season, and the offense gets a little better. They're going to be perfectly fine. Vikings finish the season at 10 and 6. It's worth noting the Vikings have to play six games against top 10 total offenses, but they have an NFC low two games against top 10 total defenses from 2016. This offense has every opportunity to shine. All right, kids, let's wrap this up. NFC South, we're talking Atlanta, Carolina, New Orleans, and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Atlanta winning this division fairly comfortably last season at 11-5. and five. Biggest departure and biggest arrival for the Falcons. Interestingly enough, it's kind of the case of very similar players. They both come on the defensive side of the ball. Biggest loss for them has got to be Paul Warlow at linebacker. He's a tackling machine, but most of his tackles seem to happen 10-15 yards downfield. And I, his play has kind of just... I feel like he's dropped off a little bit. He lost his position due to injury. He now leaves out. He signs with the Lions to try to replace DeAndre Levy. I think he's a downgrade from DeAndre Levy. And I think the Falcons can replace him easily enough on their depth chart, either through the draft or by signing somebody as a free agent. I don't think they're going to miss his presence all that much. Now, they did bring in Dontari Poe, another example of a guy whose play has drastically decreased over the last couple of seasons, but when he's at his best, can be an elite player at his position, the defensive tackle position. He'll definitely help them with stuff in the run. He'll get a little bit of a pass rush on, but again, his play has kind of decreased over the last couple of years. Obviously, he's got a bit of a back issue there too, so that's probably contributed to it. Falcons, as I mentioned, 11-5 and five last season, won this division, had the number two total offense in football last season. Just an unstoppable offense there in Atlanta. However, on the defensive side of things, they only ranked 25th. So they're a real glass cannon, as they call them. They play five games this season against top 10 total offenses. Only three games against top 10 total defenses from 2016. This is going to be another offensive firepower season for the Falcons. Again, as I mentioned, the Falcons, one of only two teams in the NFC that do not have to play a top 10 total offense or a top 10 total defense this season. Now, there is a little bit of a give back there. Their bye week comes in week five. That's super early, and it'll be interesting to see how Atlanta reacts to their games down the stretch. They got tough division games, road games late in the season. It'll be interesting to see how the team reacts to that early bye week. 
They got a bit of a tough midseason stretch here, week 10, 11, and 12. They play Dallas, they go to Seattle, and then they have Tampa Bay come to town. Dallas and Tampa Bay were two really good road teams last season, and then obviously having to go to Seattle and play the Seahawks. I think Atlanta loses all three of those games, but they don't lose much else on the season. I've got them finishing again at 11-5. and five. Spoilers, back-to-back division championships for the Atlanta Falcons. Let's look at the Panthers now, who obviously were majorly impacted by the fact that they didn't have Luke Keekley for most of the season last season. They only finished 6-10, and 10, but Carolina is probably the team in the NFL that I have a handle on the least. I don't know what this team is. I don't know if they're the you know, almost unbeatable juggernaut of a couple of years ago, or if they're the team that we saw last season that was only 6-10. and 10. I have absolutely no idea. Biggest departure for Carolina has to be Ted Ginn on the offensive side. Not that he's the number one or even the number two receiver on the team. Those would, of course, go to Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funchess. But Ted Ginn has 14 touchdowns over the last two seasons. It's going to be tough to replace that kind of speed and that kind of offensive production. I guess they could have tried to do it through the draft, maybe some in free agency, but it's going to be tough to replace that kind of speed. Julius Peppers at 37 years old comes back to the team that he played with at the start of his career. He's not a number one pass rusher anymore. It should help their pass rush a little bit. He's going to be like a secondary option. He's had at least six or seven sacks over the past you know eight or nine seasons so he's been fairly consistent I don't think he's going to get that kind of production in Carolina anymore he does move back to the 4-3 so that's going to help him but you know it, it was an interesting signing at 37 years old to try to sign a pass rusher Carolina really struggled on the road last season, only winning two of their eight road games. They were the number 19 total offense in football and the number 21 total defense. That's obviously going to get better with Luke Keekley being able to play again. They play six games against top 10 total offenses from last season, and they only play two games tied for the NFC low against top 10 total defenses. So this offense is going to have every opportunity in the world to shine, but I just, I don't know what we're going to get. I don't know what we're going to get out of Cam Newton. I don't know what we're going to get out of Kelvin Benjamin is a player that I'm not able to peg at all. Devin Funches, same deal. Don't know what we're going to get out of the run game. I think the defense is going to be fine, but I can't go better than what they had last season. And based on just the situational schedule, I, I don't think Carolina is going to have a good season. They've got a lot of really losable games, especially at the end of the season. They really have a murderer's row here. The last five games of the season, I think Carolina loses them all. I think they're right there as like a 500 team right up until about week 13. And then they just hit the wall. They have to go to New Orleans play Minnesota, Green Bay, and Tampa Bay back-to-back-to-back at home, and then they have to go to Atlanta. I think they lose all of those games. Not to mention that in weeks three and four, they have to play back-to-back games against top 10 total offenses. They get the Saints at home and then have to go to New England to play the Patriots. They then play Detroit in Detroit right after that, so that's back-to-back road games. I think they lose the New England game, and the Detroit game. They probably got enough to beat the Saints. All in all, I still have to go like 5-11 and 11 for the Panthers and, and just show me. Like, just show me that it's going to be different because that's the one team that I really just can't nail down. Only got two teams left. I hope y'all are still with me. Let's go to the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are a team that I really don't think have gotten any worse in the offseason, and they did manage to get a pretty good addition to their offensive line. Jairus Bird, free safety, is the biggest departure for the Saints. He was a cap casualty, basically, but he had been replaced on the depth chart anyway. He's kind of injury prone. I don't really think that's much of a loss for the Saints, even though the departure comes on the defensive side of the ball, which is where they need the most help. They did bring in Larry Warford at guard, and he is a big upgrade on that offensive line, and that has clearly been 
a focus for the Saints is to improve the offensive line, give Drew Brees as much time as humanly possible back there to do what he does best, which is sling the damn football. So bringing in Larry Warford, he's a punishing guard. He's a really, really good guard. So he's looking at like, you know, he's definitely inside the top 30, I would say. Definitely like a starting, like sort of basically prototypical number one guard. Well, maybe a low-end number one guard, but still a number one guard in football. That offensive line is looking better, and Drew Brees, I think, is in for a really good season. New Orleans just missed being a 500 football team last season. They were 7-9, and nine, despite the fact that they only had the number 27 total defense in football in 2016. They were the number one best total offense in 2016. The Saints play five games against top 10 total offenses from 2016 and only three games against top 10 total defenses. So look for that offense to ball out. Things don't start out super easy for the Saints. The first two weeks, they got back-to-back games against top 10 total defenses from 2016. They go to Minnesota, which is a game I think they lose. But here's an early season upset for you. The Patriots come to New Orleans to play the Saints. I like the Saints to win that game, despite the fact that obviously New England is New England and they're just, if anything, have gotten better. But I like the Saints to come out early in the season, get that signature win, and that's going to help propel them to a 500 season. I've got the Saints finishing at 8-8. and They also have the early bye week like Atlanta. The bye comes in week 5. That's going to hurt them a little bit down the stretch. But they've got really winnable games there, and I think they finish at 500 at 8 and 8. And let's finish off with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Biggest addition, biggest departure, they both come on the offensive side of the ball. Mike Glennon, of course, leaving town. He knew he was never going to be able to surpass Jameis Winston on the depth chart. So he leaves town. Didn't really make sense for the Bucks to pay the kind of money that he was going to command as one of the better backup quarterbacks probably in football. Just didn't make sense for them to pay him the money, so he leaves town. Deshaun Jackson comes in. Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans as your wide receivers one and two in Tampa Bay. Whole buddy, that offense is going to be a lot better this season. As a matter of fact, is there a better deep threat combo at wide receiver in football than Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson. Bucks finished above 500 last season at 9 and 7. They had the number 18 total offense in football and the number 23 total defense. So the defense is going to have to play better this season for Tampa Bay to take a big step forward. I would argue they have the toughest schedule in this division. They play 7 games against top 10 total offenses from 2016. That is tied with Seattle for the most in the NFC. But they do only have to play four top 10 total defenses. So there's another offense that I really expect to just ball out this season and really have a good season. James Winston, if he takes another step forward, Winston, Evans, and Deshaun Jackson, they're going to be dynamite. Tampa Bay has a really interesting uh, four-week stretch here in their schedule. It's early in the season, too, from week three to week six. So week three, they go to Minnesota. That's a top 10 total defense. I think they win that game. Week four, the Giants come to town. I think they're going to be looking ahead, the Bucs will be, to their next opponent. So I actually think they lose that game. I think the Giants come to Tampa Bay and beat the Bucs. They're also a top 10 total defense from last year. Then in week five, the Patriots come to town, who were a top 10 total defense and a top 10 total offense. So that's now three straight games against top 10 total defenses. I think they lose that game. Then the Bucs have to go to Arizona. That's a top 10 total defense and a top 10 total offense, which means in that four-game stretch... By the way, I think the Bucs win that game in Arizona. In that four-game stretch, they play four straight games against top 10 total defenses and two straight games against top 10 total offenses. They have to play back-to-back games against the two teams that were both last season, top 10 total offense and top 10 total defense. Holy cow, Tampa Bay, hashtag, who did you piss off? 
But I think they're going to come out of that stretch like 500. To be perfectly honest, I think they'll still be a 500 team after week six. They'll be three and three. After the bye week, they get the late bye week in this division, week 11, just like Carolina does. They come out of that having to play back-to-back games against top 10 total offenses once again. And they're both on the road. They have to go to Atlanta and to Green Bay. And that's the stretch of games that I think it's really nut-cutting time here. It's That's the two games where you see what the Tampa Bay Bucks are this season. And fearless forecast... I think the Bucks win both of those games. I've got the Bucks finishing at 10 and 6 this season, taking a little step forward from where they were last season. The Bucks are going to be right in that conversation for a wild card spot in the NFC. I'm really excited to see what this offense is going to be able to do. If the Bucks can play a little better at home than they did last season, they're going to be perfectly fine cuz they're a really good road team. So, I like the Bucks to finish the season 10 and 6, they get to that double digit in wins, and they're right going to be right there for a wild card spot. All right, folks, there it is. We've laughed a little, we've cried a little, we've shared our thoughts on the NFC a little. So, once again, the NFC East, I think Dallas for a second straight season is going to win that division at 11 and 5. NFC West, I like Arizona at 13 and 3 to win the division. NFC North, Green Bay, second year in a row. They're going to win that division. I like them to win it at 13-3. and three. And then you have the Atlanta Falcons for the second straight season, finishing 11-5 and five and winning the NFC South. That's it for me, Justin, Bridgewater's Finest on YouTube, Blockbuster underscore guy on Twitter. What do you folks think are going to happen in the NFC? Who's going to win the divisions? Who's going to be in the basement? Wild card talk. Let me know all that in the comments section below. Make sure you join the Bridgewater's Finest Pick'em Pool for season six of the show. Make sure you join Hatbox's Pick'em Pool as well. YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you can get podcasts, you can find this show. Do all that stuff. Remember, let me know what topics you want me to talk about next week on the Q&A aspect of part three of episode zero. That'll be coming on Tuesday of next week. And then Thursday... Week one picks, baby. We are right in there. Week one, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to get started. But let's get through the Q&A episode first. Let me know what topics you want me to talk about. And we'll see you next week. 